Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What's the best way to keep your sanity when researching the paranormal? How often do people approach us who are trying to perpetrate a hoax? If UFO pilots are good enough to travel zillions of light years to get here, how come we're always talking about UFO crashes? Hello, and welcome to the 831st edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those high-flying questions came from my co-host, partner in the Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And today we bring you one of our coveted open-line shows to answer your questions on many, many paranormal subjects. And we welcome your calls today. The number is 401-766-1240. That's from anywhere. Or email paul at behindtheparanormal.com, where you can contact us via uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Okay, and joining us once again is our dear friend and favorite guest co-host, Shane Searway. Hello, everybody. Okay, so um, let's plunge right in. Actually, we have a caller already, so um, welcome to uh, WOON and Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. How are you guys doing today? Oh, uh, this thanks. Uh, this voice sounds vaguely familiar. No, I don't think so. I'm calling about a sea serpent that was just sighted. Did you guys see that this week? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, I, I believe it washed up in South Carolina? It did, yeah. Okay. It's been all over the Internet. I was talking to a fellow crypto... I'm not. I'm a paranormal guy, but I do delve into the crypto... Yeah, we suspected that. <laughs> How did you get... This is Tom from Methuen, Mass., right? Yeah, with a bad voice <laughs> because he's not feeling well. Good no, you guess. have a neatly oh, pleasant voice. That, oh, that okay. explains it, Tom. I, I was like, you sound really familiar, but I, I, I uh, now it's all coming together. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, I will say one thing. My first impression of that, and this is six years in the, the Coast Guard talking, mm-hmm. that uh, anything that's been in the water long enough is going to look very strange. Right. Yeah, particularly... Uh, cetaceans, you know, whales or certain kinds of sharks, particularly basking sharks, who are mm-hmm. essentially harmless unless you look at them after they've been in the water for a while, and they're really scary. Mm-hmm. So, um, Well, the other thing it might be, we're, I was looking, I was talking to a fellow friend of mine, another cryptozoologist author, who's just publishing a book on uh, lake monsters in Florida. Uh, Florida monsters, mm. and he, you know, him and I, I looked at something, I looked at it again, he looked at it, and he showed, told me where to go look at something again. It actually looks like a bloated eel. Yeah. So there's some big eels that, you know, south of Florida, Gulf of Mexico, with all the weird stuff going on. It could have been a bloated eel if you look at the teeth. Well, if you do some serious tests, uh, particularly DNA uh, and, that, and that sort of thing, um, you can probably come up with some sort of answer. You know, you know what I mean. Uh, but I, I think this, this only just happened, so I, I don't know if anybody had the presence of mind to suggest that or or what. Or just go bury the thing and get it out of the way, so it don't become. Yeah, well, other. that's happened a thousand times. Mm. Well, keep us posted on that, would you, Tom? And uh, I will. Wh- while you're here, more yeah. or less, uh, let, w- tell us what's going on in April. What's going on in April? April's been pretty quiet. Huh? Oh, no, April, the month of April. April. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot going Much on. Much as we love April Mass. I, mean, we, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you're, you're, uh, you're April, this is actually history for you, Paul, and anybody listening, especially if you've got Phillips lines in your family. Um, January 199 years ago, Howard Phillips Lovecraft walked into Haverhill and visited Haverhill. He's been uh-huh. here a lot. 
Yeah. And on April 3rd, there's going to be a talk at the Havel Historical Society done by H.P. Um, Lovecraft historian uh, David Goudsworth from Florida. He's flying all the way up. Mm-hmm. He's going to be doing a free talk. I plan to but be there. He's also going to be at the New England Parafest. Oh, wait a minute. I think you guys are. That could be, are. yeah. It's a possibility. I All suppose. of us, I think, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So on Friday night, we're going to be over at the um, Rogers Road at the Kittery Community Center. Kittery, oh, Maine. You'll be there yep. that night in Kittery. Yeah, you'll be speaking Friday night. And, Paul, you're on Friday night, I believe, too. I don't have the schedule in front of me. And then Saturday, that goes from 3 to 9. Um, there's some great speakers lined up that night, including um, another one of your former guests, Stephen Sacalarios. Mm-hmm. I always put out, he's been on my show. I've always pronounced his name wrong. And then on Saturday, we got a lineup of guests all day long, starting at 10 in the morning and going till 5 at night. And then on Sunday, we're going to be at one at the uh, Kittery Lions Club. Oh, and you guys are going to be there too. Yeah, we'll be doing, we do it. This show from yeah. there, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be a great weekend, and anybody that's interested in anything can go to www.essexcountyghostproject.com, uh, yep. and they can get all the information off the website. Okay, we'll so be announcing great. that in, at, at the end of the show anyway, and we'll yeah. repeat that uh, that website. All right. all right. So I just wanted to talk about the cryptid because that was interesting. It is. They're always interesting, but again, you know, I, I'm skeptical because I've seen a lot of weird stuff out in the ocean. So. Oh yeah, because yeah. you lived out there for a few years, didn't you? Well, in fact, well, I don't know why I would life. put it that way, but yeah, you know, they uh, <laughs> like Uncle Fester being lost in the uh, Bermuda Triangle. But I mean, there they, is actually there are people that just live on like a in like abandoned or or um, you know old like structures from like World War Two. Yeah, yeah that, that are just in the middle of the ocean. Well, well yeah, something like that. Effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. plenty of those mysteries that you could do a whole show on that. World War II mysterious structures across the world. Mm-hmm. I Very think true. you could spend seven shows on that. Yeah. Everything that's been hidden in the woods. Mother Nature has taken back. Mother Nature has a weird way of taking back things that we leave behind. Very true. Shane, do you have any well, comment yeah. on the... Uh on the discussion here? No, well, as far as the the, the cryptid or whatever potential cryptid, I, I haven't uh, I didn't hear about it until just now. Yeah, okay. See, you, you learn. Uh, this is the show is the font of uh, knowledge for some people, yeah, including have, ourselves. Mm. I'll have to look it up. Right. Yeah. Well, we all have to work together. That's how you find this fountain. Of That's right. I guess we're and off to North really Carolina. Obvious, yeah. The mm. first thing you got to do before you share something when people like us is look at it real closely and scrutinize it before you share it on your page because. Even though the World Wide Web is great for information, some of it isn't really accurate. Oh, yeah, it's inaccurate. Well, Tom, you are uh, quickly becoming indispensable. So we hope you feel better, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in April. Look forward to seeing you in April. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Tom Spitaleri, everybody. Renaissance man. Okay. So let's uh, move on to our first uh, emailed question, and this is from, uh, appropriately enough, our... uh, very faithful listener and questioner in uh, Bogota, Colombia, and it's Peter. Okie dokie. So, Peter writes to us, uh, 
The topic of UFO crashes uh, was mentioned several times during the show, and I have a I have difficulty, or I have a difficult time with that idea. The concept of an alien species that has mastered interstellar or interdimensional travel uh, would demand fantastic piloting skills. Suddenly, uh, they suddenly become the worst pilots imaginable when they enter Earth's atmosphere and crash in great numbers everywhere. It doesn't seem uh, believable to me. What do you think? I'm aware of the idea of some radar technology possibly affecting them in early uh, alleged crashes. Peter. All right. Well, I guess I'll just start. I've always been somewhat um, concerned with approaching questions like this because to to apply those standards uh, would – and and it could be very, very valid. It could be perfectly true – uh, to the issue of, of piloting a craft assumes that you're piloting a craft, uh, that it, that the UFO in question is not a living thing, uh, because some of the remnants of some that have been supposedly found were more almost almost biomechanical or biological than than just mechanical, and uh, piloting from where? Are, are they coming across membranes of parallel worlds to get here? Are they are, are the the membranes crossing them, which means they're not really moving at all? Uh, these are all things that have to be considered. But assuming that these are real pilots uh, piloting real craft, which is entirely plausible in some cases, <clears throat> because lots of remnants have been found. We're actually very surprised at how many alleged UFO crashes, crashes there have been. Uh, our, our show last week with um, uh, Tiago uh, Teixeira from uh, Brazil, uh, the, just the number of crashes in Brazil w- was really amazing. So, But I, if, if it's really what it appears to be, I would agree that these uh, pilots somehow lose their whatsy when they get to our planet, if, if that's what, what it's about. So, I mean, Ben, Shane? Did, didn't the United States... Um Go down and retrieve a couple UFOs at, from, and, from at Brazil? least one in Brazil. As a matter of fact, uh, one for sure. It was very, very yeah. credible. But Chago, Chago said the deal was that this was way back in, I guess, the late fifties or, or early sixties. I guess it was whether either the Alan Shepard or the John John Glenn flight. Um, Glenn being the first one to orbit, first American to orbit the Earth. Uh, they went down and said, in exchange for the UFO debris, we'll give you tickets to come to the launch. Uh. And apparently the Brazilian officials thought that was fantastic. So, oh, that's a deal. <laughs> so they, I, I don't know. <laughs> so, anyway, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Ben? Sorry, I was I was looking up uh, statistics re- really quickly before I, yeah. I, I moved forward with this. Nice. I, you know... I, I I have a I'm trying to form this argument in my head as as I go so bear with me. How many what are the odds that a car will crash? Right? How many cars are on the road right now that we know of and how what are the odds of them crashing? Well, we're sitting in Rhode Island here so we talk about cryptids they're all behind the wheel of cars. Yeah, it's like it's it's <laughs> actually I just saw something about Rhode Island is like the second highest state where you could die in a car accident oh, apparently yeah. um according to the national um yeah, highway departments. Anyway, uh, so really, you know, it's like the, the odds of a plane crashing. You know, the only time you ever really hear, you know, bad things about a plane is when they crash. But how many planes are in the sky right now, right? Well, thousands and thousands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the only time we really hear about UFO crashes, you know, the odds are that there are still craft flying around, right? 
You know, it's not like every craft enters the atmosphere and then instantly crashes. Yeah. It's, that's something to kind of keep in mind. And it's like, you know, I, I, I understand the argument that it's like, well, yeah, you know, they mastered interstellar travel, but it's like most people can master interstate travel and they still get into <laughs> car accidents. <laughs> and, you know, not to compare an extraterrestrial to a terrestrial, but essentially what I'm saying is that the odds are that not every person who drives a car will crash and not every person or not every you know extraterrestrial that flies a craft if they are flying the craft will crash but it happens yeah and the argument i'm trying to make is statistically if there are things flying around the atmosphere there are all sorts of things that mess up human pilots and say you know if our atmosphere is different than you know say whatever atmosphere they're used to then perhaps turbulence is not something they're used to. Or perhaps, you know, there's weapons testing that we don't know about. I feel like there's a lot of questions that are kind of coming up the more I thought about this, Mm -hmm. which is, okay, well, you know, assuming that these are, you know, extraterrestrials that are flying the craft, right? That's, That's assumption number one. Assumption number two is that they would be able to fly everywhere at any point in time and have no issues, which is... You know, statistically impossible. I mean, it's it, we can we can guess the trajectory, or you know, be able to estimate the trajectory of, let's say, I don't know, an asteroid field or something like that. And if they're able to navigate that, great, cool. But every planet has a different amount of gravity and different amount of pressure. They have their own sort of atmospheres. Every, everyone's different, so the odds are of them crashing are would probably statistically be higher if they've never been to a planet like this before. Now, again, that's assuming. That they aren't multiversal, in, interdimensional creatures, right? Well, well, even if they are, they're still they may be dealing with a different atmosphere, and it's just a different way to travel. Yes, exactly. So you know, if, I guess. So yeah. let's say you know you take someone from Rhode Island, and you know we're used to the curvy, you know, insanely pothole-filled roads, and then you take them. And then you put them into India and say, all right, kid, drive. <laughs> you know, of course you're going to get into a car accident. And then that's just, you know, one, like a terrestrial example. Now, imagine if you were going planet to planet or solar system to solar system or dimension to gym- dimension, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, perhaps there's there's unknown knowledge or unknown sciences that kind of can guess, you know, all right, well, we can un- we can get that there's going to be a different amount of atmospheric pressure where we go here, we can, you know, calibrate our systems or whatever for that, but in the end, it's ultimately unpredictable, much as, you know, daily life is unpredictable. And in that, I think that, you know, I, I get the argument, Peter, it makes a lot of sense, but at the same time, if they can master that, that would mean they'd have to master physics completely mm-hmm. and be able to understand not only the physics of where they're from, but also the physics of everywhere else which might be very different if we're dealing with parallel worlds exactly i gotta think too that um you know we see people see ufos as ufo reports one here one there you know you know every so often you hear a report of a or you know people witness a ufo but my strong opinion is that they're around a lot more than we think a lot more than we can see i think there's a lot more of them and um which would also increase that you know the chances of any type of crash um but I think there's a lot more of them. And, you know, you look at the Santilli telescope that can see these weird things around power plants and, and electrical storms. And then it leads me to think about the UFO sighting that we had in Pennsylvania back in May was if we had not had that electrical storm to our south, even though our skies were so crystal clear, 
would we have been able to see that foggy substance? Did that did that electrical storm feed into that to, to give us a visual on on that phenomena where that little disc came out of it? You know, because that's an amazing point. Yeah. yeah. Well, then that that goes back to the question, which is, you know, what are we dealing with in the first place? Yes. Right. Are these craft, which some might be, some might be nuts and bolts, are they, you know, sort of physics anomalies, right? Like we, like what was experienced in Pennsylvania. You've, I, I, I got to ask, do you two have any sort of idea at this point in time, you know, almost a year later, like, do you have any any sense that you feel closer to understanding what that was? I think we all have our own answers to that. Possibly. The four, the four of us who were there, uh, and, and the five of us if you count the homeowner. But I, I don't know. I, I'm still wondering about the music that we played and the tones that you played. Yes. Because uh, the, the results seemed to have been, if there was any connection, seemed to be rather dramatic. But it struck me uh, that the foggy substance, and if people want to see pictures of this, I suppose they could go to my Facebook page, and I have a still photograph of the object as my cover photo. Uh, also, that there's if they go back to the uh, the video of the May twenty sixth, twenty nineteen show uh, at the W O N website here, onworldwide dot com. Uh, you'll have to do some scrolling, but you could, actually, if if you hit, I guess we're rather heavily listened to. So if you look at the uh, most um, um, I drew a blank here, but there, there, you can sort uh, the videos by uh, most viewed uh, as well as uh, most recent. So go to most viewed and just go down there, and it's mostly us. So you can go down there and and see the May twenty sixth uh, show from uh, last year, and, and you'll see the video in the first fifteen minutes. But I think that uh, maybe the misty substance might have been an intersect point. Uh, if you look at an artist's conception or, or an astronomer's conception of a white hole, everybody's sort of black holes, and there are also white holes from which stuff is ejected. Nobody knows from where, but presumably from parallel universes, you know, matter and energy. Uh, and it looked like that. Uh, and then the object, which appeared to be much more solid, came out of that and eventually went back into it. Uh, and uh, it could have been... I mean, the, the place is full of intersect points. That's the nature of a flap area. That's why we were there. You've got ghosts going on. You've got uh, the UFOs such as this. And one of the residents had said they had seen a UFO like this previously. Well, that being said, I think the most telling thing that you said is when you started, you know, um, which is everyone has different answers for what they saw. Yeah. And I think that is more telling than any explanation we can come up with because... We don't know, mm. and will we know? Is the question. Mm. See, I was, I'm right with you on that because, and then prior to us all gathering and witnessing this, by the time I think by the time you the, you were the last one over to the group, and with within 15 minutes or so, we we end up seeing that. But before that, you were witnessing white balls of light around you. Um, me and Chuck were also witnessing white balls of light, that, uh-huh. and we didn't know you were. And then I saw a giant one, the size of a vehicle above yeah. the house, and and then it just it and disappeared. Um, and it this was not a reflection; this was a giant ball of light. I mean, it was it was very very odd. But and then we had that sighting. But what I, I got to think of is how this thing came up, this this light blob that looked like a foggy, misty substance. 
and it started to morph and take on a different shape, like a peanut. And in the bottom where it kind of came up into the middle on the bottom, that dark was darker than the night sky. Yeah. And yeah. that's where that disc came out of. So I, I think exactly what you just said is it, that that thing, that UFO, the little disc, used that, that this that was the process, that, that, that um, what we saw, that foggy substance, um, was a result of whatever was taking place, maybe an opening, you know, um, some kind of hole, and, and then this disc came through it into mm-hmm. our existence, and then they traveled together, and it, that disc traveled kind of above it or maybe behind it, and and, uh, and there's some theory that says that UFOs move through our skies by distorting, um, you know, gravity or space-time in front mm-hmm. of it, yeah, and yeah. that's what pulls it through, and, yeah. and I mean, if you think of it that way, that's what it kind of could have looked like, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's fair. Yeah. So, but it didn't crash. Exactly. So, I mean, uh, that based on our, the question we've been answering at length, yes. uh, fortunately for whoever. So before, yeah. <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> that we know, yeah. Well, you know, what, what, just before we leave that point, um, it was a, either you or Alexander sent up a, uh, a drone the next day. And it was up, uh, I think it was lower than, than whatever it was we saw, but it was more or less, you'd have the same field of view if you were in the UFO, if it was a craft. Right. And I, I always note that you can see three major Bigfoot sighting sites, you know, uh, from that vantage point, including yours and mine. Yeah, that's true. And I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, whether it's relevant, I don't know. Yeah, so anyway, well, uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, let's go to Facebook here, and we have um, one from Elisha in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Sure. So we will this start the top this. One there, ben. Uh, we'll we'll start this very quickly. Elisha, Elisha, send us a phonetic Elisha, spelling just yeah. so just so we know. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, continues with what's the best technique for keeping your sanity and staying grounded uh, when researching the vast amounts of topics and information in the realms of the paranormal? I had to stop because I was taking in so much information that I felt like I was losing my mind. But at the same time, the hunger and desire to learn never leaves. Any response would be appreciated. Thank you. Who well, says we're saying? Yeah. <laughs> no, don't don't joking. do it in the first place. <laughs> yeah. That's a simple answer. Shane, what do you, what do you think? Um, well, I mean, if you're going to research it, I mean, I don't know exactly what, just the paranormals, is, are they talking about? It, it, just, yeah, it sounds, so. seems pretty broad. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, it, it, the problem, all right, so he, here's how I'll put it. If that question arises where you feel like it's affecting your sanity, then it's wrong for you. I mean, it's as simple as that. It really takes a the right kind of of a uh, mind frame and um emotional stability to to do this type of stuff um it it really does cuz it it it, you know, it will affect you um it it could become obsessive you know you, you could become obsessive with it which is unhealthy um and it could get you into trouble but with those types of emotions so um yeah i would say if 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 you feel like it's been an issue for you it's probably not the right thing for you Ben? Well, that's that's fair. Yeah, I can appreciate that. I've had to help too many people that went through the same type of thing. Well, I think it's you know, in in any topic, you can kind of become obsessive about mm-hmm. it. You know, I mean, people get PhDs, the most random things, you know, because they're obsessed with the topic, right? Or even you know, whole subcultures have popped up around obsession over a single topic. And you know, there's something about the paranormal where I think I think we we crave something beyond ourselves, right? Where we want to connect with something that's outside of us, and 
you find through you know the the study of looking at the unknown that you know you, you might find something you need but you know there's there's a certain quality that's kind of missing from you know the modern world that we live in and that's discernment discerning what information is necessary and what's not right you know looking reading a bunch of creepy pastas or ghost stories and stuff is just yeah. it's not it's not really it's not worth your time right but learning about i don't know physics or calculus or you know un- moving past that and looking at like theoretical cool stuff that people are actually doing or learning about astronomy and learning about all sorts of fascinating new areas of study that you know are are being looked at for the first time ever really or at least since you know our ancestors looked at the stars stuff like that i think that's that's really fruitful and i think the question you have to ask yourself when you're studying these things is is this fruitful or is it not right well, it's funny the name of each. But I'm going ahead. No, I was just going to apologize because I I didn't read the question exactly right. So it was, what's the best way to keep your sanity and stay grounded? Um, yeah, well, when researching the paranormal. So, I mean, for one, like like Ben said, don't you know? Don't look towards the creepy passes and these stories that you see on YouTube and stuff like that because there's so many false ones and they want ratings. They want you know. The money from all that, um, but to do the work yourself, the best way I would say is to to have a process to identify trends in your work. Um, look for commonalities in in the different areas of the paranormal, and and let that be your guide instead of um, you know these TV shows and these YouTube videos and and whatnot. Um, but to have a an open mind, but also to have a process to identify certain trends. That way you can c- connect your own dots mm. um, and not go too wild with it in, with your internal dialogue. Just you be fact-based, very fact-based, and I think that's a good way to start. Fair. Well, I, why don't we take our bottom of the hour break uh, here. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and today Shane Searway, Open Lines, on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We will be right back. Hi, this is Najee. And I'm Dave Koz. Hope you'll tune in to the Dave Koz Radio Show this weekend. Saxophonist Najee is my very special in-studio guest, and we've got a lot to talk about and listen to. Remember to visit DaveKoz.com for all your questions and answers, and be here this weekend for the Dave Koz Radio Show featuring Najee. Hi, fans of smooth jazz. The Dave Koz Radio Show can only be heard on ON, AM, and FM every Sunday. Twice on Sundays, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. and then 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. The Dave Koz Radio Show is brought to you by the Carew Investment Group. It's the Dave Koz Radio Show, and it's right here on ON, AM, and FM. Local and live at 99.5 FM. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM. And our wonderful favorite guest co-host today and colleague and dear friend Shane Searway is with us for Open Lines. And we've been dealing with the questions. Uh, uh, we had a call in and a couple of other questions. Uh, this one is about because of UFOs and someone has asked very, uh, very astutely, you know, how do you keep your sanity when you're Dealing with this stuff, and uh, my answer is simply don't don't do it in the first place. Uh, I think that one of the reasons I cannot stand most of these ghost shows and reality shows is because it just attracts people to adopt the thing as a hobby, as if they were bird watching, and it is extremely uh, reckless not, and dangerous like she's thing to do. Asking about doing like ghost <clears throat> hunting and stuff, it's just 
Research, quote, researching the vast amounts of topics in research. Okay. All right. Well, all right. Well, well t- taking uh, the question strictly uh, from Elisha here, which I, uh, that's a male name, by the way. Is it? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Elisha. Like from you know, the Old Testament. I've, I've just seen it pronounced different ways, so I have no yeah. idea. Oh, yeah, but there are <laughs> I different. apologize. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope I'm right. But I anyway, right. I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, regardless of all the gender stuff, um, it's a good question, and... Um, yeah, I mean, I think Shane is right. I mean, keep it, uh, keep your feet on the. You know, Ed Warren of all people used to say, "You have to keep your sense of humor." Mm. You know, in this because because we, we discussed the very question, you know, hundred years ago when I was working with them, and I think that's um, that's a good point. You keep your sense of humor. You keep you try to keep your feet on the ground, and um, think of the good things. Keep it positive, and uh, that's good for anybody to do, especially if you're going to be involved in this. And just as a side note before we move on, it's one thing to go seek the paranormal. All right, it's another thing if it comes and gets you. You know, a lot of people are, you know, totally different focus and, you know, the stuff will start flying around the house or something like that. And because, you know, there there are ways to approach that. But um, if it does happen to you, if you grow up in a quote-unquote haunted house, uh, that's not certainly not your fault. Uh, although you could be feeding something, but that, that we've done lots of shows on that. So uh, there, whether it comes to you, you go to it. If if you can't avoid it, uh, avoid it. All right. So that's my two cents. All right. So what uh, we what do we got uh, next? Number two from Facebook. There, Ben. So number two from Facebook, we have Paul from Northbridge, Massachusetts, and this question is for all three of you individually. He says, uh, in all of your experiences. Can you each describe to me an encounter with a person who was very obviously uh, just seeking attention or just making things up? Uh, I bet you've come across a great deal of people like this, and I would love to hear some of your ridiculous encounters if you have experienced <laughs> them. Thank you. Big fan of the show. And them Enos. <laughs> well, that, that's a great there. question. All right. All right. Well, yes, yeah, since I suppose I go back the longest. The, cases like that that turned out to be, I think hoaxes or publicity stunts were very rare or I didn't actually run into any in the first 20 years of this starting in 1970 people were didn't want to talk about these things very often very few people were out there researching this there was the Warrens Hans Holzer uh, there was of course uh, the Wazerine yeah, well, the, from the the scientific point of view, there was Dr. Weiser Ryan and J.B. Ryan, and there was a Richard Sennett, I believe, it was coming up, and uh, of course uh, the uh, a couple of others, uh, and then me, just starting out. But people didn't. People were frightened when you did find out about this, and they usually would call you when things had gotten extremely bad. Right. More recently. I look for people who, when it started becoming popular, like TV shows and all, you'd find the people who would come to you who were frightened, I trusted more than the people who were excited. Okay? I'm thinking of a case in Maine, Ben and I had, where and lovely people loved them to death, and it was a legitimate case, but I think they were looking for a TV show or a book deal. All right? Uh, they, they were, they were, they were excited about it, you know. Um, but that doesn't mean it wasn't a real case, because we, we did run into some real interesting things there. There was another case in Rhode Island, uh, lovely woman, lovely family, 
but she was convinced that you know she, the pareidolia was was taking over. She was convinced that there was, um, you know, the the sheets would be piled a certain way, and she'd see a face in it, and all of a sudden there was this big haunting, and there'd be a lot of strange things on the uh, uh, outside uh, security camera that uh, were obviously you know the sun going down and the reflections in this <clears throat> and the lens flare and things of that kind, and uh, she just wouldn't take no for an answer. Um, but I don't think that, but those weren't deliberate hoaxes. Um, there have been some, the occasional email or call from someone, and you could really sniff that it was just something that was not right, okay, and I just wouldn't touch it. But there's a difference between making a mistake and creating a hoax. So I haven't run into a lot of people deliberately trying to hoax us. Although, I wa- there was one, and this goes way back, I don't even know if you were born yet, Ben, it was in the 80s. Uh, I was on a uh, TV show that was about um, uh, Elvis Presley, <laughs> of all people, right? It was, I remember it came out on VHS, that's how far back this goes. Oh, wow. And uh, I went down to, um, they came to Warwick, Rhode Island, I went down, and they had a bunch of quote-unquote paranormal experts come in and look at this video, and it was a video of Elvis's grave. And you could see this flickering, it's, it's, you know, it was polished stone, so it was reflective, and you could see this, this flickering. And apparently I was the only quote-unquote ghost hunter who asked the question, is there like an eternal flame kind of thing? And they said, yes, you're the only one who picked out that that, that, that was what that was. <laughs> okay? So they, they were deliberately trying to, I guess, trap me on television uh, about this this thing, you never knew that, did you? No, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's so far back. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and they paid me forty bucks. So, you know, it was like a contest. Did you win the forty bucks? No, 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 no. <laughs> it, was, it was a TV production. It was, it was just a stipend for coming down and being on the show. But um, everybody else said it was a ghost. So, well, hey, good for you. Uh, well, a well, long time ago. Anyways, so Shane, uh, what would say you? Um, I don't think nobody's ever tried to deliberately hoax me, but um, there was one case that you started off with you. You handed it off to me, Paul. Um, and I won't. I'll leave out some details because I don't want to. Um, I think I know where this is going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, there was well, the one in Massachusetts. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The, the lady. Yeah. Okay, so she was looking for some type of attention. I apologize and, for that. Because <laughs> I, I went up there first, and I was. They, she was convinced she was possessed, and I'm trying different languages, which is one of the tricks I use, and she didn't know what I was talking about. You know. Yeah. So, didn't, well, anyway, so go ahead. So she was a, a type of psychologist. That she worked in prisons mostly for um, working with inmates who had like a, a, a sexual crime. You know, they were sex offenders of some sort. That's basically who she mostly worked with. So what did this genius do? She, she ends up getting into a... A relationship with one of the inmates. Oh, brother! Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So she she gets fired from her job because of it. Um, she got you know her license or, or whatever her you know her license to practice uh, revoked. Uh, she did not. She uh, tried to get it back, and you know. But anyways, she, this guy gets out of prison. She moves him into her house. She finds um, uh, an altar, like a satanic altar, in the basement, and she goes crazy, thinking, you know, this guy. Uh, but but at the same time, he was becoming abusive towards her, both mentally, I mean, uh, physically and sexually abusive towards her. 
um, she said she started seeing certain things and in, in, um, in the house, you know, shadows, feelings of being watched, uh, bad headaches, things like that. So, she, um, but there was evidence of, of um, you know, you know, I mean, there was holes in walls everywhere. I mean, you could tell she, she her herself, she was writing on her bedroom walls. I'm a good mommy. Yeah, I remember you know, that. Really bizarre things, and so I, I think she needed help herself and and uh she her whole life was spi- spiraling basically so yeah, it just sounds like she was having a mental break yes mm. she absolutely was and she was blaming everything on satan because this guy that was a satan worshiper she said and he put a because she kicked him out of the house after she found the altar because he had been abusive anyways kicked kicked him out of the house and now she started to associate every little thing with the fact that he put a curse on her and, and satan's coming to get her and um so the fact that she was losing her house was it, it was because of the curse. The fact that her children were being taken from her was because of Satan. It wasn't because the cops found them doing crazy drugs in the garage in the house mm-hmm. unsupervised. Um, it had nothing to do with that. It was it was the the boyfriend who put a satanic curse on her. Um, she every time she saw like a hawk, she said it was from the it was being sent by Satan. It was trying to warn her that she's going to die and all this stuff. stuff. So. Um, she also was associating these headaches with this curse where, you know, she would only get the headaches at night and she had uninsulated wiring. Actually, no, she had, it was ground looping coming in from her ground rod um, that was uh, charging her plumbing with a high, high EMF right below her head where she slept at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's just what was causing her headaches, not Satan, you mm-hmm. know, not this curse. And, but so my point is, is so she was using that as as a way to take off the, her own responsibility for her screwing her whole life up she lost her job Very common. She, she lost yeah, yeah she lost her house she lost and i think she i she i think she, she was taken to jail i think she she got in trouble and she, herself was arrested too but yeah. so yeah we see that a lot but that that was a case that i'd, I'd like to brought, bring up right now because it was one that you're familiar with too yeah yeah so um but those types of things that passing the buck um on so they'll they'll um say that there's this evil entity messing up their lives but it's them mm-hmm. and they want us to like back them on that story and it's like there's nothing here yeah you know it's it's so you got to you got to be good at sniffing that out yeah yeah but exactly. if you can too try to steer them in the right direction in their personal life too you know everyone has problems so yeah mm-hmm. yeah which I mean, you know, comes down to the the person, not the phenomena right. itself, or phenomenon. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have to get that distinction. Yeah, get down. our Greek down. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, any hoodles? Uh, I guess for me, the first thing that came to mind was our case from Maine about ten, twelve-ish years ago, and nicest people in the world. Um, you know, really, really, really nice, but they 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 didn't want us to help them. They just wanted, again, validation mm. for for the phenomenon. Just say, oh yeah, we've got something going on, and like they encouraged it. And it was it was it was a case that was this little. It was a technically a vacation spot, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was like it was like a vacation spot. You take your RV, RVs up there, you know. And this this family ran this RV park, and um, you know they had problems with um, you know a parasite that was there. And they they were just they called us and like hey come up take a look at this you know whatever and so we went up and we took a look and several times several times actually and it was it was you know they they didn't really show any interest in in us helping them they had no interest in in what we were saying 
no interest in any of our theories. They just were like, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's a poltergeist. And it's like, oh, well, well yeah, yes, but, you know, you can do something about this. And like, oh, no, no, no. It's been following us for years, you know. like, And it it made me very uncomfortable how um, the, the man of the house, so to speak, was was just he was very enthusiastic about it and that uh, that was like that made me very uncomfortable the whole time we were there because everyone else was just kind of like <laughs> yeah kind of going along with it and there was a, there was a young girl who was living yeah with them too so and it was and it was just it was very it was it was a rough situation and it was like you know have some self-awareness man like obviously everyone else here is uncomfortable (laughs) and you're just kind of doing whatever you want and just saying yeah you know we just want to be famous really and like you know i I don't know if they expected us to bring up film crews or what they what they wanted out out of the well we were on the air already at that point so they knew about that that's where they heard of us but yeah and it was like well i don't know i think i'd like to think that we we sort of got the notion that okay well you know, we've been up here like three or four times, and it's like, okay, well, there's not really not much we can do for you. But yeah. the thing that just made me so not not angry is not the right word. I guess uncomfortable or unsettled is the they ended up moving, and they, they're still in touch with us, I believe. Uh, not lately, but we, we stayed in touch for a long time. They moved to a different part of the country. Yeah, we're leaving names out of it, and it's you know they're lo- lovely, lovely people, oh, but yeah. you know the the, phenom- the phenomenon followed them, and it, yeah. it followed them throughout the country. It and followed them from another part of Maine by the time we got there, too. Exactly. And at that point, it's like, okay, well, we know that we're not dealing with something that's that's just kind of been there, and they just happen to have all the ducks lined up. It was just, you know, you, you're encouraging it by, give, by A, giving it attention, and B, you know, not, you know, doing the things that you should be doing, right? You know, there's that old, that old saying of, you know, if, help, you know, if you want, if you want help, help yourself. Like, you know, get your... Get yourself yeah. together, and then mm-hmm. everything else will kind of fall in line. And you know, it was kind of what we were trying to explain to him, and he just what wasn't getting it. You know, it was just in one yeah. ear out the other. And you know, maybe it's it's one of those things where you don't. It's not that you don't want to listen; it's that you can't listen. And if if you if you learn how to listen, and if you really do do and truly want to rid yourself of of this parasite, then you know, you you have to you have to take the steps. <laughs> yeah, you you have to move in the direction. Well, that whole case reminded me of what Shane says, which is it's people who are haunted, mm-hmm. yeah. not places. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 I mean, in the case of the the parasites, the the negative hauntings, that's exactly what it, almost one hundred percent of the time that it's it's not haunting the home, it's haunting the people because it's it's feeding off that emotional energy. Yeah. And by encouraging it, you know, you're feeding the parasite. Attention is huge. That's, exactly. that's usually where it starts. Exactly. Well, we have a, a, a very long and thoughtful question from Doug in Texas, but I don't think we have time for it. We'll bump into the next show. Um, we have any short ones there? Uh, <laughs> uh, we do, and it's from Mark in Thermopolis, Wyoming. Thermopolis, Wyoming. Yeah, I saw that, and I was like, oh, all right, cool. Um, so Mark writes to us, do you think that dreams are views into alternate worlds? Okay, well, we've talked about that a few times, but um, uh, I think yes. Uh, with and I've mentioned this, I apologize for repeating myself if people remember, but when I worked for the uh, Providence Journal, I, w- as I was an editor there for uh, some years, and I would have a very broken sleep schedule. I would be <clears throat> working uh, till you know on the morning paper until about uh, 
one or two in the morning, and then the newsroom would clear out. I'd come home, but I don't know. I'd be up at seven to get you boys out to the school bus. You know. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're, yes, you're welcome. And because uh, you know, because mom worked nine to five and had to get her sleep in the morning, mm. so it. I ended up t- sort of taking a nap in the afternoon to kind of make up for it before I went to work at the journal. So I had broken sleep. And I found that I remembered uh, a lot more dreams than I would have norm- with a normal sleep pattern just at night. And I, I would write them down. And I have like a 25-year dream record. And if I wow. look at those, uh, I can go back as far as you want. And it will immediately come back to me like a memory, hmm. you know. Uh, most, uh, people forget their dreams very often, or some people say they don't dream at all. They do, but they just don't remember. So I, I have found that there have been maybe it's just me, maybe I'm bonkers or something, but you find out that there are there are repeated visits to certain places, certain people, and um, for example, Ben's mom and I will visit this one cafe on a street street corner in Pennsylvania. Uh, to which I very sel- a state I very seldom visited until the Pennsylvania Triangle case, where we got the UFO you know, started in 2016, with you and I, Shane, going down, and then Ben too later on. And uh, there are whole life memories. Um, I will most dreams are lucid now, and I will have um, say, oh yeah, th- th- this happened. Uh, like last week here or something, and it's it's like the whole. Me- I'll, I'll remember people from childhoods that I never technically had. So yeah, I think that uh, a lot of dreams, if not most, are you know a look into parallel lives, parallel worlds. I, I think. Now the question is, uh, wouldn't that? Wouldn't there be if if our theories are? Wouldn't there be dreams that, that look into the future? And I have those too. Mm-hmm. What to us would be the future, and, and of course we talk about Einstein all the time. Relativity really indicating that time is all simultaneous, mm. and researchers in the time travel saying you don't move back and forth in time; you move sideways. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I apparently for a very long time misunderstood the idea of deja vu, um, which I guess is like, oh well, I feel like I've been in this situation before. I've had dreams about things, and then they happen. You know, it could be six months down the line, it could be years down the line, mm. and then I remember it at that moment. I'm like, oh, I dreamed about this moment, but then for whatever reason, it's it's like I, I recall from the dream that like multiple other things kind of happen simultaneously as that happens. For example, the other day I was making Marion um, a cup of coffee in the morning, and she prefers iced coffee, so therefore I must get the ice out of the freezer. So I got the ice out of the freezer, and I put it down, and I had this moment where I was like, I remember this exact moment from a dream, but during that dream, something else happened where it was like three or four different things kind of happening simultaneously. Alternate, uh, yeah. Yeah, where at one moment I could be doing this, and another moment I could be doing that, another moment I could be doing this, and it's all happening at the same time, and I'm just like, oh, well, that's weird. And then I remember at that time, that dream that I was having, I was actually very sick, and I remember being sick, and then it feels like I'm sick. It's very Yeah. It's... Apparently, that's not supposed to be deja vu, <laughs> I learned. And, um, you know, the idea of, of dreams sort of presenting an alternate reality is is interesting, right? You know, why do we have some dreams that are seemingly prophetic? Why do we have dreams that are seemingly, you know, sort of reflections of our, our daily life? And why is it that we have dreams that seem to sort of reflect our, our mental or emotional state at the same time? And... I think it's interesting because it shows that it's sort of a 
a whole experience, right? That it's like, it's not just, you know, well, you know, my consciousness projected into a different reality in a different plane. It's, it's a whole thing, right? You know, how you're feeling, how you're, how you're doing mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever, it all plays into this whole experience of understanding, you know, what re, what reality are you in? And then it begs the question, what is reality? And if reality is indeed what we make it, wouldn't our mental and physical and you know emotional states have something to do with the realities that we're in and hence why yeah because i really thought about this when we had that show the other week on dreams and it's like well everything's a symbol and it's like well i mean if that's if that's true then in daily life everything's a symbol you know this cup this empty cup of coffee here is a symbol of me drinking all of the coffee and still not being awake you know (laughs) being on the radio is a sing is a single or is a is a symbol of voice going over the airwaves and you know maybe these words that are that people are hearing, which is really a very strange concept if you think about it, that disembodied voices are talking to you about the paranormal <laughs> in your car, and you you stop and you think about it, and you're like, wow, this really is a symbol of something that might be going on in my mind right now, but really it's happening physically in front of you because of you know distribution of air molecules and whatnot. That being said, taking it back, dreams is sort of being a reflection of not just the reality that we wake up into. But an unwaking reality, right? Wherever that might be in the multiverse, and it's realizing that unwaking reality that we really realize that we exist. Shane, nice. Well, you got to top top that, but <laughs> but <laughs> that was that was good. It was. But no, no, I I, I agree with you both. And um, but yeah, I have the, those same dreams that they. I mean, it's got to be more to it than just something going on in my head. I mean, there's just there's substance. And then a lot of my dreams too. I do dream of of things that are to happen. And I mean, I've dreamt about friends dying when I was younger and never said anything, and then they died, and you know, and so I, now I say something every time. I remember that. Yeah, with you, yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, so I, I agree with both of you, and um, but on another note, um, on another side of that topic, if I could only have in this existence, this parallel, the dream where I can fly, mm. because I fly all the time. In my oh, yeah, me too, yeah. I want to fly. Well, on that note, I think we're just about out of time, but we'll have to uh, fly into our announcements at this point. Well, that's a good, yeah, nice, nice transition there. Yeah, I, I see was, what I did there. Yeah, it's pretty good. All right. Okie dokie. Okay, so. so we had a great time yesterday uh, at the 5th Annual Book Lovers and Authors Expo at the Cumberland Public Library uh, in here in Rhode Island. Uh, it was a it was great to meet the listeners who stopped by, and uh, many thanks to uh, Aaron Kutu and the great staff at the library. It's always always a lovely time going. It there. is a very well organized. It's a pleasure. Uh, thanks also to the folks at Dave's Market who donated all sorts of great uh, goodies and refreshments to that event. And on April 3rd, 4th, and 5th, we'll be at the New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine. Uh, the first two days of the event, Friday and Saturday, will be at the Community Center at 120 Rogers Road, uh, for uh, obviously in Kittery, Maine. For Sunday on uh, the 5th, uh, we will move to the Lions Club at 117 State Road for the rest of the event, which will include a live broadcast of the show between noon and 1 p.m. All proceeds from this event will go to help support the historic Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, and toward the upkeep of veterans' gravesites there. Along with ourselves, speakers, almost all of whom you've heard on the show at one point or another, will include our own swashbuckling uh, colleague, Shane Searway. Do you know what you're going to be speaking about? Uh, yeah, strange disappearances. Oh, that sounds great. Oh, I'm so yeah. excited. Yeah. 
Well, don't disappear before you give the talk. <laughs> right. uh, Bill Brock of the Discovery Channel's Monsters Underground, Ancient Sites expert Dave uh, Dennis Stone, Bigfoot hunter Dave McCulloch, re- reincarnation researcher Stephen Sacalarius, researcher and broadcaster Tim Weisberg, now the host of the uh, hit nighttime show Midnight in the Desert, uh, and many more. Uh, order tickets, uh, as our first caller said today, at es- EssexCountyGhostProject.org. And naturally, we'll be back at the Exeter UFO Festival on Labor Day weekend, September 5th and 6th, as speakers, and to do our fifth annual live broadcast from the historic Exeter Town Hall on Sunday the 6th at noon. And the event is sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club to raise funds for local children's charities. And we should say that we are planning another trip to Pennsylvania in May. We're not sure which weekend yet, but there will be uh, our annual neighborhood meeting for the folks in that area, which is always a hopping because everybody is an experiencer down there in that area. So uh, stay tuned for more events uh uh, on that. Okay, I guess we should jump probably to um, uh, Ben, what do we have uh, coming up for next week? So, next week, uh, Sunday, February 23rd, it will be open lines and uh, with the special guest co host. Wait, 23rd again? Is what? It the 23rd next week? Uh, yeah. Really? Wow, jeez. Time flies and having fun, but. And I'm looking at the math, I'm like doing the math in my head and I'm like, oh. Today's the 16th. <laughs> well, we'll have Shane back here in his seat, uh, to help us handle the stack of emails from listeners on many. Wait, but the, the date is right, but the thing is wrong. Well, um, Shane, are you gonna be back? <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome anytime. Uh, we, actually we have, um, oh my goodness. Oh, this is embarrassing. I can't remember who we have next week. It's it's, it's going to be another great guest. Ben, ben will look it up. I'll look it up very quickly. In the meantime, Shane, uh, what, what's cooking with you? TrueGhost.com, huh? Yeah, TrueGhost.com, the website, and all my contact info's there. Um, but yeah, I got okay. not, not a whole lot going on. I got some investigation schedule. I got to get out to help those people. So if they're listening, I'll see you soon. And then, um, and then of course the the conference there in Maine in April. Absolutely. Yeah. We have Philip Mantle on with alien autopsies. Philip Mantle, alien autopsies, he's taking another look at that, and uh, that should be very interesting. Great Philip Mantle. Philip Mantle from England. That'll, that'll be terrific. Okay, so uh, we leave you this afternoon with a beautiful and uplifting thought from one of my favorite people, the 13th century Persian poet and theologian Rumi. Everything in the universe is a picture brimming with wisdom and beauty. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Shane Serway. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.